Hi, this is uh, Cliff Kriego for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. As you can hear, this is another field notes report. And we're out here, hold on a second, literally doing field work. And I figured, well, what the heck? It would be fun to take you, the listener, along as if we were camped here in the wilderness uh, together or doing one of our musical nature walks. And I'll just um, mention as we go along some of the things I'm working on. So for context, hold on a second. Pause. Sorry about that. That's that problem I have with um, cell towers. Um, the little recorder I'm using with field work right now has highly sensitive stereo microphones. And so even if there's not a cell connection, which there isn't here, happily, um, if I forget to turn off uh, the receiving end of picking up the cell tower pings so they know our exact uh, location, etc., um, I get an interference. That's interesting. We've talked about that before. But where we're at, um, well, in time, we're going to be talking about time and space. In time, it's... Um, Let's see here, Wednesday, about uh, the 21st of uh, August, 2019. And in natural time, it's about uh, 9.30 or so. And so, um, it's already intensely hot. And we're on a quite steep, about 40 percent um, but wonderful alpine tundra grade going steeply up and um, we now have a magnificent view see just 20 meters what we've done here so we're going to watch the altitude very carefully you can hear if you are used to it just make it down here. You see, those are very dry footsteps. As I've talked about frequently in other field notes reports, uh, the whole beauty, let me see if I can find a good chair here. I'm sitting on solid Wallawa Batholith granite. Wow, what a view. Absolutely spectacular. Not in all directions. So I'm looking now 
to the east-northeast, right where the sun came up in natural time about six o'clock in the morning. It's an Oregon blue sky day, calm, high, high pressure, what you call a zonal flow, which is fairly um, gentle west to east, the prevailing westerlies. And that's because of a massive high pressure system to the south of us, down in the Four Corners area. I'm doing this up by ear because I, I'm just watching all my local instruments. I don't have a weather report. Um, but we do have, um, even though it's a completely clear day, the uh, dew point is probably about one or two degrees centigrade. So it's very low. That means the relative humidity, even at uh, sunset at six o'clock natural time, would uh, be about uh, 30 or 20 percent. And then as that's the invert, inverted movement to temperature, as it gets warmer, the uh, air can hold more moisture and therefore the humidity goes down. So those two bell curves in a diurnal daily graph, they're the inverse of each other. But a dew point of one or two C is very low. That's why, among other reasons, that's what we're going to be talking about, um, you hear that um, very dry step. Everything is dry, dry dry. But of course I'm looking at a magnificent alpine lake right at about 2200 meters. I call it uh, Muir Lake to honor John Muir. I'll leave it open what the locals call it. We'll keep it secret. But it's about 2200 uh, meters. Almost all the alpine lakes are at that altitude with a variance of 200 meters, 21 to 23. And that's because that is where the glaciers um, hit bottom. The ones that started melting at the beginning of the Holocene, the area, era before the Anthropocene, the current era, um, when they started uh, uh, melting and retreating, uh, this is where they bottom out. And they would have dipped over the ridges that you can see all, all around us. But this is where you would have the main mass. And they left um, magnificent lakes and, of course, filled them with uh, milk wa melt water initially. But this is entirely, that's why I call it uh, Muir Lake, John, for John Muir, coming out of Yosemite. It's a very granite, Wallawa Batholith, um, coming from eight kilometers, they say, from the uh, mantle of the earth, forced with uh, incredible energy onto the surface. And it's only in the center of the Wallawas that you have the 
great uh, Wogawa uh, bathos. And I'm very strongly attracted to it energetically because it's a marvelous, bright, Stravinsky-like energy. I was thinking before, um, I was taking uh, uh, one of my Taoist uh, naps early in the morning. It starts, the days here start very early. So about 3.30 natural time. And as far as I can tell, we're totally alone here. Then I'm always slightly concerned. I said, well, gee, how can this be? There's no one here. There must be a new war going on. We've been invaded by a different solar system. Something must be going on to keep young people from not just coming here. We're in official wilderness. That means this was uh, protected by the 1964, if you're in Europe, this is 1964 Wilderness Act, passed by uh, Lyndon Johnson. Imagine trying to do that now. Uh, Many people worked for more than a decade to get that passed. And the precursors of the 1916 Great National Park uh, Act Um, that uh, solidified um, um, national parks. This is not a national park. It could be, but uh, it's not. Like uh, Lost Glacier, as I call it, national park up in the northwest of uh, Montana. The Wagawas are, in my view, a sister range of the, uh, the Rockies there at Glacier, and they should be studied in a way together. Uh, there are reasons for that. We'll come back. We're going to do a time and space thing. So that's our time. Now we're doing a little bit of the space. Um, so 1916, and then I think it was 1891 that the Forest Service service was kicked off to uh, protect what was already a question and then what was left of the North American forest. This is already more than 100-some years ago. And the Wogawas were entirely after um, the beginning of European settlement. Uh, Lewis and Clark uh, passed through 1804-1806, but not quite this far south. So they were uh, north. They followed the uh, Columbia main stem as much as they could. So they they didn't get much uh, further south of Lewiston and Clarkston. Uh, named obviously to honor the um, great core of discovery, but they didn't come this far south, which is a tremendous tragedy for us trying to figure out um, um, climate crisis collapse in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Because uh, unlike the Alps, where people have lived at this altitude for at least at least five millennia, and you could probably uh, uh, increase that by a factor of two, because they simply followed um, the great uh, Holocene ice melt of the uh, northern hemispheric glaciers. 
So as the ice uh, retreated in the Alps, uh, human beings, there were other species already up there, including our white bark pines. We'll get back to them in a minute. So they simply followed the uh, conditions. And um, I've always said that the Alps were inhabited top down because it's the most auspicious sites with the best winter weather, sun exposure. Um, you have to remember, if you get further down valley, I very much dislike uh, camping there. I want to be high. Why? Because that 6 o'clock natural time uh, sunset, that's uh, crucially important. You can easily do without afternoon sun, but not morning sun. Especially once you get into uh, uh, the colder half of the year. And don't forget, this place is snowed in, well, um, let's see, about uh, seven or so months of the year. And there'll be snow lingering. There should be snow uh, right here, right now, towards the middle end of August. And that's what we're going to be talking about, is that there is no snow in sight. And you're going to go nowhere. Now, Lewis and Clark, had they had the great good fortune of discovering the Wallawas 200 years ago, they would have seen small glaciers, ice fields, permanent ice fields, vestigial glaciers, everywhere. There would be thousands of them in the Wallawas. Now, is that a fact or a theory, you can ask Cliff? Is that a fact? We've been talking a lot about that. And don't forget, it's getting pretty hot here, so let's move up a, a bit more. So we're going up a magnificent staircase of Yosemite quality granite blocks. We're surrounded by uh, smaller, younger white bark pines. There's a larch that's in interesting because larches are usually not on this exposure, they're more on the northern, northern exposures. We have um, fiddle top spruce inspire fir as we call them we'll get to the botanical names later but we're going up now listen to that sound it's very dry so it's getting a little bit ah walk just flew by well, let's keep to our theme here 200 years ago, fact and theory. Now here's a white bark uh, snag, which has been blown over in a wood storm. It is very slow. Everything happens slowly up here except climate crisis. Been blown over. Like I always say, when people ask, uh, Cliff, aren't you getting a little bit too old to be doing this stuff? And I say, ah, nah, artists never retire. They rot where they fall. So that's our philosophy. Well, that tree there has probably been lying there in the ground before Lewis and Clark. 
So it's very slowly the um, white barks have a very tightly greened weather resistant wood. Thank golly that it can't be harvested for commercial purposes because we're too isolated. One of the main reasons that this is still wilderness is because it defied hydrocarbon man and car culture because of its uh, topography. It was simply too difficult to build roads here. Otherwise, they sure as hell would have hogged it, this place to death, too. As we were talking about 200 years ago, so Lewis and Clark didn't quite get here. So here we have a little spire for... Now, this, this guy's only a meter tall, so he'll be totally... So I'm breaking off some of the dead branches. Hear that snap? Um, under snow. The climate average snowpack here always oh, about uh, uh, three meters, two to three meters of continuous snowpack. So that means after it's consolidated. And the snowfall is not all that much. It would be about um, nine to 10 meters total. And as we go further north, don't forget the Wallawas are like a wheel, a mandala of swirling, turning energy. You can take that as metaphor or take it literally as I do. Turning around, well, as you go to the center of the hub with the great eagle cap and lost Glacier Peak, as it should be called, Remember that saying of uh, Confucius, the beginning of wisdom is calling things by their proper name. Let that sink in. Now, we're listening for Clark's Nutcrackers, named for the great William Clark. He uh, so-called discovered them. Of course, the Native Americans had known them for a millennia, but uh, he discovered them for Western science, keeping his journal for Tommy Jefferson, as everybody did, all 34 members. They lost one man on the trip. That's an absolute miracle, in my view. That uh, So we, uh, what we're doing is just... Uh, the cliff-styled walk, we walk at random, or so it seems. Everything here is based on the uh, Zen Buddhist principle of marvelous accident. We have kind of a general route, climbing, <laughs> but no real goal. So I'm going to have to hit pause a couple times because I, I'm uh, doing camera work up here, so if I see something that I need to compose uh, an image. It's magnificent. The contrast of the um, turquoise, quiet alpine lake. Well, I guess we better talk about that now. And one of the greatest sins against nature in the Pacific Northwest comes directly from, let's go down a little bit here, get out of that. Here's another one of those 
snags that's hundreds of years old is just very gradually falling apart. And what's interesting is that you don't see, this is white bark, uh, you don't see any sign of beetles in the snag. So they were hit by lightning, blown over, just died as we all hope and pray a natural death. Not a victim of climate crisis. And here I'm walking, this one has given itself almost to soil. Let's get out of the sun because it's so hot. Now I'm just, I'll just let you uh, read my mind. I'm looking up at the uh, smaller white barks. Here's one a cluster. So that's a carks. Uh, I call them cracker clusters. Don't forget all uh, white barks have been more or less I'm quoting Robert Keane, uh, Professor Robert Keane, author of some books on white barks, and the leading authority, in many ways, of um, Pinus albicaulis in the Pacific Northwest, and has been working his whole career trying not only to understand, but to save the white barks together with the equally great Linda Tombeck. So uh, Keene is more Montana, I think uh, Tombeck is more, um hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, Colorado. But um, that's why I picked up that little bit of wisdom, because a whole decade of working out here, and it didn't occur to me, well, yeah, every single damn tree has been planted by a nutcracker. Let that sink in. It's totally wind still. And now I'm looking to the north, northeast. And I can see another mountain about uh, 10 or 12 kilometers away. And I'm imagining the glacier ice here. It started with the great melt about uh, 12,000 years ago. So that's a time space, right? If we learn to think like a glacier, that's very important to do. If we learn to think like a glacier, it's a kind of musical movement, which in human terms seems impossibly slow. But because we have this gift of empathy and cognitive intelligence, we can imagine, more or less, and some people like uh, Dan Fagery, whoa, in uh, Glacier National Park, who's been watching and studying glaciers there for almost 30 years, walking the land, and watching his beloved glaciers disappear right before his eyes. We'll get back to that. But learning to think like a glacier, that's what kids should be doing out here. Wilderness, 1964. So we're saying a silent prayer poem 
for all those who work day and night. We should come back to that history and touch upon it every year. That never happened in the Alps. <laughs> to say, out of bounds. And what is the first thing that the... You can define wilderness in many ways negatively. That means in the mathematical sense, not in terms of value, you know, pessimistic. That's how I use the word negative. So it's what is not here. And first and foremost, what is not here is car culture. Let that sink in. Everyone should come here on a pilgrimage. You don't have to do a big fancy backpack. It's just enough to come here to be able to stay a day or two or a week, a couple weeks. It's not about athletic um, achievement. It's about spiritual awareness in the present era. That someone did all that work to save this place without really understanding car culture. So there are no roads. So if you come here, you come by foot. Now they do allow horses, and they do allow uh, llamas. I've even seen goats. There's a potential for goat packing there, alpine farmers, mountain farmers. How many kilos can a goat carry? Yeah, well, they would do. I'm, I'm making fun of it, tongue-in-cheek, but they would do very well. I would rather see goats here than horses, personally. But um, now you could say, uh, when you're going to define wilderness, are we going to allow horses? <laughs> it's only because a horse is, if the impact is at least a factor of 10 greater than a human being. At least. And it could be 100. Depends on the conditions. The more, like now, serious drought and aridification. We not only have drought in the Wolawas, we could make that one of our main themes, we have aridification. That means uh, a long-term drying out. That's almost beyond human terms of comprehension for millennia. That's what's happening here. Now, is that a theory or a fact? Well, it's obviously both, right? If you are in the dialogue circle, not two guns pointing at each other, but in the dialogue circle, then you try to understand why Cliff is actually here, right? Why on earth would he say that? I'm looking down at these magnificent spire firs. Abius lasiocarpa. Now try teaching that to a kid. <laughs> but botanical nomenclature has its place, because why? Because it puts that species of fir, the common name is very ugly, subalpine fir. Well, if you think about that, that's a, that's a god-awful ugly name for a god-awful beautiful species. So names are the first poetry of place. 
And you always think how you dance playfully with a child learning the names, the rhythm, the sound, how it matches the wonderful beauty of the place. And it's something that you want to learn for a lifetime and pass on to children of your children of your children. Subalpine fur doesn't quite get it, does it? <laughs> or Engelman spruce. We call those fiddle-top spruce. We're cooking with fiddle-top spruce. Cones. Using a wonderful high-tech biolite, highly recommended. This is our infomercial. Cliff's getting a lot of money first. <laughs> it uses probably also in a factor of 10 less wood than smoke and carbon to cook. And all the fuels are infinitely renewable, sustainable, and they're just little twigs. Like I'm looking here, I'll walk over them. This is from White Bark. Now, if you want to know the White Barks, go to the White Barks. So we're doing a little bit of Zen Buddhism. I'm breaking, these are twigs of white barks. And they're not any bigger than a pencil. You break those up about 10 centimeter pieces. And when I'm, um, as a part of yoga at a camp, I'll make a pile of those that's big enough to cook, make coffee or tea or some sort of uh, highly necessary caffeinated uh, Beverage? Yes, caffeine in the mountains is very important. I just was, uh, I have it with me, but I, last uh, season I read, oh, magnificent, twice that Ed Nesbitt highly recommended, uh, that collector, uh, for David Douglas. So we're honoring David Douglas, the young in his 20s, uh, Scottish hippie that was sent over here around 1824-25. And he wasn't working for the beaver people, <laughs> uh, but uh, for the Royal Botanical Society, harvesting plants. So imagine being out here a full year, even almost two years, living, as they used to say, by the gun. Well, one of the things they didn't want to run out of, the number one was tobacco. Now, unfortunately, I don't have tobacco with me here. I'd love some right now. I make a, a Native American blend and put in some nicotiana, um, nicotine tobacco, to spike it up a little bit. And that was their, that saved them. They would uh, bring it by the yard in twisted braids. And if there were ever a potential conflict with the people who uh, lived in this place, <laughs> that we've totally exterminated. Is that a rough enough word? <laughs> it's an absolute ethical outrage, and it fills the space with the dissonance that's called bad karma that has nothing to do with this place and has never been resolved. There's never been anything. Nuremberg trials were not the best thing possible, but at least it was something. And... Uh, the ravages of predatory capitalism, well, that's too strong, that's not a strong enough term for what happened here. It was the ravages of empire based on a self-righteous um, 
utterly ruthless, degenerate uh, Christianity. See, we're questioning all of that up here. In our view, in the, I throw it into the dialogue circle, all of these monotheistic religions are inherently, just like nationalism, extremely violent. First and foremost for the people who uh, dabble in them, either believe in them, make it their life's mission. Why? Because they divide the world into Christian, non-Christian. That's the be end, right there. Once you make that mistake, you will only have conflict. And not just with the Native Americans who were living here. This place was almost certainly used for vision quests, if not for special harvest, but they certainly would know about it. You can ride right up almost from the Imnaha on horseback. But anyway, uh, we got rid of them. And on the south side of the Wallawas, as I've spoken about before, they've been totally erased from consciousness. On the north part of that mandala wheel, so I'm looking at, um, I'm just letting you read my mind. I'm looking, ah, I call, it's called Regen, a younger white bark. This would be totally under two meters of snow. They have to be flexible and strong at the same time. It sounds like a good yoga ideal, doesn't it? And, um, well, that's good to see. But what you don't see anymore, and of course, I don't have enough experience. None of us do. You, you would have to have 5,000 years of experience is why there are no what you call cracker clusters. So there's Professor Keene telling us, well, every white bark has been planted by a nutcracker. Now notice we hear no nutcrackers. This is evidence. <laughs> there should be nutcrackers here everywhere. Now very briefly, I'm looking at these other seedlings. Listen to how dry it is. That be dry. So we're walking through alpine tundra. I'm looking at Perry's Rush, which does a marvelous job of building soil. I'm looking at Vaccinium scoparium, a little bit better Latin name. That's the grouse blueberry, whortleberry, huckleberry. It's a smaller uh, blueberry, absolutely delicious, but very, very small. But used by many of the little critters here. The, the granite is so bright, I almost have to put on, I have my glacier glass, maybe I should put on. So I just slip them down. You have to protect your eyes up here. Ah, now here's our first one. So this is what I would be doing if I'm just doing my photo work. And again, I'm just a happy, marvelous accident. Taoist and Buddhist up here. And playfully seeing what I can see. And I can think of nothing more beautiful. And it's pure music. I'm walking through a musical landscape. This is what real music, not commercial music, but real music. Stravinsky. Brez. What that does. Now, this is a snag. If I had, it's probably two and a half, three meters around. It's probably been dead way before Lewis and Clark. And it's totally... I'll make some photos, but not right now. Um, its roots are thicker than my waist and they're all around
around embracing the granite rocks. So don't forget white barks are the only conifer up here that sprouts in bare mineral soil. That's the soil that's left after the glacier pulls back. So they be the real pioneers. And they create the conditions, the preconditions, of not just their own flourishing, but everybody's flourishing. Do you get it? That's, it should be the definition of economy. So we were talking about predatory... No, it's much worse than predatory capitalism. These people are utterly ruthless. Once you divide yourself from the world that powerfully and then are backed by the most despicable of Bible black that said you have this God-given right to come out here and kill and dominate and control. Well, that, brothers and sisters, is bad medicine. So, this tree, you know, I think it was Krishnamurti who once said, can we all be so beautiful in death? It's a snack. I'm eating this wood. It's totally granite. You see, they're not actually white bark. They should be called granite bark. They have the color of granite, so they look like it's the granite has come to life, and now it's retreating in death. But it's standing there magnificent and strong, even in death. It will not give up its place. That's how it's holding on to those granite rocks. Well, creating the preconditions for flourishing. So I'm walking now over scopariums. Now I'm looking here, there are no berries here. So, and no flowers, so I don't know what's going on. See, that you're not up here all the time. There should be berries everywhere, so I don't know what's going on. So don't quote me here. We're figuring this stuff out as we, on the fly. So this is another mental note. Now look at that. Sorbus Americana. So that's a, um, a mountain, what do you call it? The common name will come to me sometimes. I just... So I'm walking through a little region of spire fir. Ah, and here's a little juniper. So a juniper is not officially a tree. We're, we're talking to you. It's not an insult. It would be totally under snow. What? Eight plus months of the year. See, rhythm is a mysterious thing. But there's lots of uh, smaller spire fir. There's a smaller white bark. So, creating the conditions of flourishing for an entire community. Well, that doesn't sound like just the regular word, whatever you want to call it, shock and awe capitalism, or whatever. Um, that's only worried about the bottom line and for a very small set of people, right? 
not for us all, let alone the trees. So we're saying, well, the geometry of life, we're very sorry, the economy, violence of empire, the geometry of life is not two guns pointing at each other. So there goes Islam, there goes Judaism, there goes Christianity. And we're looking for something else. The geometry of life is a circle. Can you hear how dry that is? So the scopariums, the um, grouse blueberries, is not a very resonant sounding name. We'll come up with something better. Again, the model is teaching it to kids. And where are the kids? They should be up here. People tell me that, uh, aren't you concerned that there'll be too many hikers? In the no, I'm not concerned. I've never ever have seen too many hikers in the wilderness here. What I have seen, and I've frequently spoken of that, but it bears repetition, is far too many cars. I can't remember that one little poem. The wilderness is like a virgin chained to a rock. Prometheus, right? Like a virgin chained to rock with on all her sides car culture waiting to give the wild bitch a ride. Well, that's what I experience on all sides. If you're a photographer, I tell my photographer friends, well, because uh, they're looking at Port Cliff. Like, I, I want to get to Glacier, right, this season, but probably won't make it. That's 20 camps. But once my feet and bike rig uh, make it to Glacier, Lost Glacier National Park. So uh, we're talking about time space, right? That's uh, uh, 100 square kilometers of ice that's since 1850s, since we started watching it is now down to about 14. So when will it uh, click out altogether? It's only a question of a few years. It's hard to predict like an avalanche. You can say, well, yeah, the danger is there, but you can't say exactly when it's going to release. But that doesn't make it, brothers and sisters, one damn bit less scientific. We're in an age where all ice on planet Earth is set to disappear. Let that sink in. I don't know if you can hear it, but I still hear rushing water. See, water is not easy even at this altitude. If there's no snow melt, you see, I, I like being here. It's much easier to be here when it's about 70% uh, snow still or in wintertime. Because in the winter, you can camp basically outside of avalanche danger anywhere because you always have water once you melt your snow. And if you are up here in the winter, you're 100% dependent on melted snow. So with our infomercial with uh, BioLite, I bet you I'm only one of the few alpinists around that have tried to get through the winter with that little wood stove BioLite. And giving it as much energy as I could, I couldn't do it. Because I'm trying to go 
radically carbon negative. Now, I'm just doing this by ear, so you're reading my mind. So I'll be looking, and every season, every month it's different. Now, I see a large, about 200-year white bark is in the distance. We'll walk right over. It's about 30 or 40 minutes away. And it's dead. It's been killed by uh, Dendroctonos ponderose. Dendroctonos. That should fill you with horror. All the trees are shivering here. That means killer of trees. And brothers and sisters, it is. So that's been killed by mountain pine beetle. So normally I'd be making photos. I'm walking over... Oh, that's magnificent. Um, white bark. Uh, we'll get back to that too. See, that's how wonderful walking in real wilderness. Just, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be wilderness. Act. Just nature. I just stepped on a uh, white bark pine snag that's giving us back to the earth. That's my goal. It should be all our goal to be beautiful in death and to have our lives have, as the Native Americans say, seven, Ameri seven generations into the future, a secure, habitable earth, a flourishing, not just for the top few guns, but for all, including the wider circle of life, these trees. So that's been dead at least 200 years. Lewis and Clark again. And I'm looking at this So we're going over. This isn't on the route. So we're doing our Zen Buddhism Taoist practice of marvelous accidents. And we're taking note. Normally I'd be clicking away, making, I'm trying to document every beetle kill. So this is a cracker cluster with two. It's a younger tree, probably a hundred years old. And it's gone now. There are snags of white barks all around that were dead earlier. They're on white, but this is a mixed conifer. So the dominant tree here is not white bark. It's uh, definitely fiddle top uh, or uh, spire fir rather some spruces. I don't think there's quite enough moisture for spruce here. And that's a theory, that's not a fact. Well, one of the theories is they say, okay, well, forget about climate crisis, just with the white pine blisterus cronatium ribicola, an introduced fungus uh, about a more about 110 years ago or so. They say that's a theory. Um, they say it's a fact, but uh, well, always blaming it on somebody else, the Europeans. Um, but it's evidently not native here, but certainly native to planet Earth. We better get used to it. And so uh, it is killing all uh, five needle pines. It's already wiped out the magnificent uh, uh, white pines. I've never even seen. Like, I haven't been here long enough. 
So, but people who have been doing this work for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, they knew what the white pine forest, how beautiful, and they're already gone. It's like back east, uh, Buckeyes. Or what Dutch maples disease did to the Dutch maple. But uh, always I think it's, it's wise to look at the wider, another snag here, wider circle of stressors, also for human beings, but now we're looking at the wider circle. I gotta put my glacier glasses back on. Another magnificent, magnificent snag, white bark. Now the first thing I want to mention about these snags is that if you learn the language, and that's what we're doing out here, and there's no end to it. It's like you want to learn Dutch. Well, you just don't get your capsule of Dutch. <laughs> it's a lifelong practice, perhaps many lifetimes, who knows. And it's a pure joy, because you're learning to see the world from a different perspective, right? So their relics, I'm using my language very carefully, their relics, brothers and sisters, of a different climate. You see, trees of this stature are no longer here in the Wallawas. They're already dead. And a gift of the gods, if we pay attention, is that there are snags. Some of them are on the ground. This one is still standing. Well, that's a tree probably 30 meters tall and um, a good two meters in circumference. Wow, those trees of that height in diameter are becoming very, very rare now. So learning to think like a glacier, glacier time, white bark time, thinking like a stone pine. Here's a new species that just came in here. Philodoce impetriformis. That's another alpine tundra, acidic, uh, loving, arcade, pink mountain heather. And I'm looking at it, that if we would have been here a month ago, we would be treated to a delight of wonderfully delicate pink blossoms. And it forms whole mats, so we're walking, it doesn't hurt the plant, walking right through. But relics of a different climate, think of that, that's already. You see, that nobody is here. <laughs> the Native Americans certainly, but we got rid of them too. <laughs> they could have told us. So, um, I was reading, highly recommended, um, The End Device. Many people have books now about uh, a farewell to ice by uh, one of the leading Arctic scientists and also a marvelous human being, Dr. Peter Wadhams, a uh, British scientist, and his book came out two years ago. I have it right with We could be reading it together right now. I've read it twice and continued to dip into it. Highly recommended. But also, so you have Ed but get that book. The Collector, that's a lot of fun to take backpacking. Not a word about climate in there, but it isn't, we don't have to be totally fixated on that. But it's just the insanity 
Uh, yeah, for the Royal Botanical Society, the Hudson Bay Company. What the hell? Get some of these Scottish, I call them hippies. If they didn't come back, who cares? You get, just get a couple more. The only money it would cost you would be the journey over here. <clears throat> so he came back with dozens of new species. And among other, of course, uh, uh, Douglas fir. And that's why in, in the north of Europe, uh, Douglas fir is one of the most common non-native tree species, which has been planted everywhere. And in some areas, doing quite well. Other areas, less. But uh, that's all because of David Douglas. So more huge snags. This is what I call skeleton ridge. So you're very exposed to lightning strikes here. And uh, the height of the tree, so they're all above 30 meters. And they're all in solid granite. Maybe that plays a role too. And there are dozens of them around. And it's getting steeper. And we're going to transition. I don't know if you'll be able to hear that. The peak where we're headed is still 100 meters plus away. But um, they would have been hit individually. This is a theory that explains the fact of what we're seeing. So that means, don't forget, it's always, like the Buddhists say, mutual arising. There are infinitely many facts and infinitely many theories to explain them. So. We're out here in tree time, glacier time, weather time, climate time, poetry time, musical time, and we want to understand those all together. And uh, so I'm looking at this white bark snag, no sign of beetle. So it must have been, the theory is, is that they were hit by lightning. There was more than a meter continuous snowpack. Now you wouldn't get lightning in the uh, winter, but that only happens in the July, especially August, September, with the uh, thunderstorms, convection storms. The rising air creates an unbelievable amount of Nikola Tesla energy. I hear a, I can hear water. It's because we can see the water. You see, that's affected. It's about 200 meters below us. So even with no snow, there's still a hell of a lot of water flowing downhill. But uh, by what standard? And at what temperature? I was horrified yesterday. I just got here the day before yesterday and set up camp. And I'll stay here as long as I can because there's so much to do. And of course here limited by how much food you can carry in one night. This is not a very good season for wild crafting. And I have to confess, I didn't bring my fishing pole. I wish I would have, because I love to fish. And as Thorny and Dorothy at the hitching post down in Happy Eagle Valley can tell you, uh, I'm not much of a fisher person anymore. Now we're on a um, granite cliff outcrop. You could almost do rock climbing here for about a rope length. At least you could be working with kids up here doing rappelling and basic mountaineering skills. I've never seen anybody doing that here. This part of the Wallawas. More snags.
Unbelievable. So it would have been hit by lightning and then blown to smithereens. And you can see that they're all charred. Many of them are charred. And because of the snowpack, like uh, Dr. Steve Running there, shout out at uh, University of Missoula, Montana, Well, with uh, that snowpack, there would be no fire. It would just blow up into vision. It's the only way you can explain why it didn't burn down the whole damn forest. It just, so now we're going up to a little niche here. We're climbing up some granite. There's a little fur coming straight out of a granite crevice. So now we're on a cliff. So now you finally figured out why I have the name Cliff, right? So here's white bark coming right out of a crevice. Looking down, I don't know if you can hear the water. And now we're going to do a little Yosemite style. Yes, I used to be a not very good Yosemite climber in the old days. So now we're frictioning up a granite slab. Ah, here you can see the actual styrations of the glacier movement totally carved by uh, glacier ice started to retreat a while back 12,000 years ago so let's sit right down on the glacier slab see how the sound changes now we're taking in the aspect here I hope you can hear the water there's a wonderful series of meanders the infinite complexity of natural wild free-flowing water that's what that collection i hope you have that on your cell phone or mp3 player otherwise ah clark's nutcracker but only one let's see if we get a cohort yes there are two do you hear them? They sing. It's called counter singing. Say it once. Counter singing. Four steps. They sing back and forth. And uh, ornithologist, beware. In my view, this is a theory, not a fact. Uh, they have an entirely sophisticated language that's based on very similar in some aspects to what's that called? Morse code, dot, dash. Listen to Igor Stravinsky, what he can do with long, short, long. Listen to the Symphony of Psalms. Listen to the Symphony of Winds, rather. Long, short, long, short. And then you vary the amplitude, you vary the frequency. And before you know it, you have an entire language. Language doesn't have to be just consonants and vowels. And don't forget the Clark's Nutcrackers, Columbiana. Nucci Fraga, Nucci Nut Fraga Fragment, Break Apart. They're up here year-round. Let that sink in. They have much better lives than we do. Without a doubt. Totally free, independent. They have everything they need. And unlimited skill 
at what they do. Family, a very social critter, as that we. Notice I'm up here alone, right? Where is the other? <laughs> Nobody wants to be here, that's why. We're a social critter too, but now totally broken apart. Not everywhere, but here certainly. Where are the kids? So, like, to finish all these loose threads, we're sitting on our granite slab. Now, granite, for people who don't climb, has a marvelous friction to it. And every it's the dream of every rock climber. And all I have on is uh, uh, Tavis, another infomercial. <laughs> when Lewis and Clark left the uh, coast Astoria, every 33 of the men had made five pairs of moccasins to get back to the Missouri. Wow. <laughs> they would have killed for these tevas. I could easily walk across the whole of the Wawas. Challenge me, I'll do it for a bit. Snow, I'll put crampons on the bottom of But they're excellent for climbing. The soft, uh, but very strong, whatever it is, hydrocarbon. <laughs> yeah, we're going to recycle them. Um, grips fantastically to granite. And so if I were to slip, I would go off a cliff that goes about 150 meters down. So you could be climbing and repelling them, but it's not Yosemite quality granite. So there are, uh, you'd have to clean it up a little bit like they do sometimes in the Alps. Um, but you could get to your, um, it would be a lot of fun. I would love to see kids learning their rope skills and mountaineering skills, rescuing skills, just being out here, listening to that sound of the water, flowing totally free, but it's almost three quarters of a kilometer away. Now, going back to glacier time, Dan Fagery, so we've had a hundred square kilometers reduced to a mere 14. And that book, read that book. It's a wonderful book. The End of Ice. Read that other book, A Farewell to Ice. One by a journalist, alpinist, Jahir J uh, Jamal. Dahir Jamal. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. And uh, the other by uh, Peter Wadhams. Well, what that means is that in glacier time, you see, those glaciers are responding to a climate-foreseen change which happened centuries ago. But they move very slowly. So regardless of what, if we were to stop all carbon emissions right here, right now, and go radically, as I'm a proponent of carbon negative, to get uh, in formal language our parts per millions below 350, maybe to 2, 280, what it was before the uh, Anthropocene started, that uh, the warming really started to kick in around 1750 or so. Well, those glaciers, because they react so slowly from human, but only in human terms, so we're doing the circle of life. So in dialogue 
we have to learn the language of trees. We ethically have to learn the language of those Colombiana Nuchifragas, the Karks Nutcrackers. But in glacier time, they're responding to something that happened a long, 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 that none of us participated in. But that's how climate happens. And it's showing it to us that what we're doing is our own uh, self-demise, self-destruction. Once we learn the language. But if we don't care about anybody except ourselves, like that little miniature that I'm very proud of that starts the beginning of another CD concert set that's called Ice Mountain that I fight about with my mate in crime, the great trombonist Simon Dahan, about every time we talk. It's um, in hoc segno vinces, in this sign you conquer. Well, that's Christianity of empire, right? Is the Pope going to help us get out of... No, that's totally fake, in my view. I don't mean to sound harsh. Could be a wonderful person, I don't know. But this metaphysics of Christianity is why we're stuck in the first place. It was always the justification for the violence of empire that killed all the natives around here, including not just the humans. So that reaction of glaciers is happening very slowly, but only in glacier time. Now what I want to suggest, and this for me is a fact, but just take it as a theory in our dialogue, is that forests also have their own time space. So there, there was no forest here 12,000 years ago. There was only glacier ice. And as the natural, that's because of the Earth's relationship to the sun, that we periodically go into ice ages and out of them. And just in recent times, over three million years, that's happened five times and get used to it. We live on a water planet. The water sea level goes up and down. In sea level time, 120 meters. So just imagine the coastline of the world, not just North America, not just Holland. The Swiss are in a good place. <laughs> but Australia, Bangladesh, Venice, 120, that will happen uh, for sure in glacier time. It's only a question of how fast. So if we don't give a damn only about ourselves to come back to in hoc signo vinces, on every damn crucifix you see, even in the mountains, I think it's the most deplorable thing, don't let me go into a rant, in the Alps you'll climb a peep, peak and, you know, suffering and get it finally, and there'll be a cross at the top. Well, I know people here in the Wallawas that have made a religion of taking summit books and destroying them. But far more, okay, well, they can do <laughs> I, I get their point. Uh, but the cross is the most evil thing to put on top of a mountain. 
It's like you're taking the sword of the conquistadors and slamming it into the heart of the pulsing living earth. Well, that's what that piece is about. In the secular Christian, it has a text. It's very simple. It's 23 steps. How does it go? Money has replaced meaning. So I'm asking, is that true? Money has replaced meaning. The self-centered me has replaced God. And the last three to make it whole. Pleasure has replaced ethics. Well, that in a nutshell, brothers and sisters, is our metaphysics. We're not aware of it, but it underlies everything we think, say, and do. Like, uh, okay, let's see what it means. So I'm on my granite slab, and my rope partner here, (laughs) where's Bruno when you need him, is uh, Nirgenvo, nowhere. So we're talking about no longer glacier time. We're on this steep wall here, so let me, I gotta use three points of security here. Let me get up here, don't wanna slip. And so now we're in a flat ridge. We could do a, a bivy here for the night. There's another young uh, white bark pine. This is a beautiful little camp, but notice this time of year, there ain't no snow, brothers and sisters. You can't camp here. There's no water unless you want to lug your water up. So let's go over here and have a look. We got a ways to go yet. More juniper, wind sculpted on the granite. Ooh, a very sharp updraft. That's the heat catching the granite cliff and it just comes up, it'll knock you, almost knock you over. I don't think we can quite get through. Maybe we can see here. So up and over, going down Grand. Ooh, boy, that's um, that's a good 50 meters straight down, so we don't want to fall. Uh, so now we're going down, no longer so exposed. Another granite cliff where you could be climbing and repelling. If you want to climb, just to be careful, you have to do it top down. You have to set up the anchors at top and then rappel down and very religiously clear out all the crevices you're going to use for uh, protection and uh, uh, that potential rockfall. And always use helmets here because it's uh, not the best quality. Not that I'm much of a climber, but I used to go with some of the really great climbers. Yeah, that's a wonderful wall. It's a good rope length, keep you honest up here. Believe it or not, I used to do that. I used to carry around not only all the backpacking gear, but was so uh, gun-ho, I would carry the ropes and everything. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that now. Uh, but the strength of youth more incredibly beautiful granite. Now pretty soon we're going to be out of granite into basaltic uh, volcanic earth. Let's keep going here. Huge immense boulders half the size of a VW bug. More of those blown up snags. Now 
I should mention that. You're reading my mind. This is what I'd be writing down by means of making photographs. I normally don't jot things down. I have a journal with me, but I do it by making photographs. So I get out my monocular and I'm looking at this older pine. It's a sound of biomimicry Velcro. And I'm glassing. Yeah, you see, the <clears throat> there's no crop. The, all the cones that are still there are the pickings left over from last season. And this is the second major site. I'll keep on doing this as I go through and around the Wallawas this summer. But last year we had a bumper crop of cones. And remember the cones are about fist big, usually opposite sessile. And they don't, this is unique, they don't open on the tree. So they're totally dependent on the nutcrackers who treat this like their apple orchard. And the um, because they co-evolved, that's a time space, right? We don't actually see that happening, but we have the theory of evolution. We also have the theory of co-evolution. Now I'm laying back. I'm partially out of the sun, and I'm glassing with a beautiful monocular I also use for macro photography. No, no cones. And uh, that's why there are no nutcrackers. Why would you hang out in your orchard if it's not producing anything? So they have, uh, uh, now I'm waiting for a whole cohort to come and contradict me. Well, I would be blessed if they did. Uh, normally here, you would hear a nutcracker start work or play. For them, there's no difference. They're not Protestants. They start at 5 o'clock natural time. Again, I, I strongly lobby. Um, it's not quite an ethical thing, but this thing about daylight savings and <laughs> is just total insanity, especially if you want to figure out a plant a phenology, that's the rhythm of plant worlds, um, or just the natural world. Stick to natural time. And then all you do is like a conductor transposing a B-flat trumpet. You knock it up a, a note. So you, when I go back down into the lowlands, I just transpose um, the time for others who use that system. And at the same time, feel sorry for them because they don't know what they've taken away from themselves. Just like a car. When you give up the car, you're not losing anything. You're liberating yourself from a cage. Uh, when you give up hydrocarbon culture, you do not lose a single thing. You're liberating yourself from a cage. Like the great F.M. Alexander inventor, discoverer of the Alexander technique. One of the most powerful techniques out there. You can't do something you don't know if you keep on doing what you know. Now that's 17 steps. Is that a haiku? No. Is that an aphorism? No. Is it true? 
Yes. So it's a miniature, we call that. It's a sutra. We'll study that. The first step is always stopping to learn anything, especially the older you get. We're talking five, six, seven, eight years old. The more difficult it is to give up things. And individually and collectively, that's always a back and forth. They're co-relative um, categories, right? You can't have a collective without the individual, and you can't have an individual without the collective. It wouldn't have any meaning, and therefore no energy. Well, every single white bark is without cones. Now, there are two theories. The fact is, no cones. And the theory is, well, it's well known that there are bonus mast years uh, of uh, super production. Apple trees do the same thing. And that runs in a cyclical way that is tuning into other cycles within cycles within cycles. Now, if you were a white pine cone harvester with 3,000 years experience, I would believe what you say about the duration of a cycle. But if you're merely a Western scientist and say, well, it's seven years, <laughs> well, okay, that, that's an approximation, a very rough. The significance of the boom and bust um, is obviously related to many different unknowns that we want to figure out and explore, right? Uh, but it's also another theory, not a competing theory, it's a different way of explaining it, is that as white barks go into decline, which is obviously the case here, we'll get back to that in a minute, don't forget in glacier time, what's happening at Lost Glacier National Park, the year Jamal, get that book, The End of Ice, it's one of the first chapters, it's one of the best chapters, where he's on the road with... Uh, um, Dr. Dan Fagery at Glacier National Park. What a privilege. And, uh, uh, well, uh, but what uh, the death knell of the glaciers, that happened a long time ago. So, But uh, this is just their egg, like the out-breath. In the Alps, the same thing is happening. How they measure this, I don't know, but there are 64 billion tons, gigatons of ice in the Alps. Well, Alaska, they say, how on earth they would ever measure this? You could do it with satellites and the new GRACE technology and whatnot. But let's not go into those are details. But just as, as a comparison, 75 gigatons, billion tons of ice is being lost every year. So the Alps is definitely going to be free of ice. Definitely. It's unstoppable. In my view, that's not no longer a theory, it's a fact. You can see it happening right in front of your eyes. Well, in glacier time, to finish with the Wolgawas, if we would have been here with Lewis and Clark, we would have seen what the Alps is experiencing now. This range tops out just under 3,000 meters. So just like in the Alps, everything, every peak below 3,000 meters, the glaciers clicked out a long time ago. I was lucky enough to see the last little bit of it, like in uh, Ticino, which is much lower than the central part of the Alps, by 1,500 meters or so. And those glaciers were gone a long time ago. But you saw the signs if you were climbing there. You could, you could read what was going on. Well, that's what you would be seeing 200 years ago. 
where I'm looking now, I'm looking to the northeast again, north-northeast, there would have been glacier vestigial, glacier fields, permanent snow fields, permafrost, uh, ice fields in every cirque that would last throughout the summer. That's your money in the bank if you're a tree and if you're a rancher. Because when you get into dry spells, the water has a diurnal cycle, a freeze and thaw every single day. It's a very beautiful rhythm that we're losing or have lost. So we would be seeing that everywhere. Well, it's already gone. There are no human beings with any memory whatsoever up here, generally, with all due respect, not like the Alps. Don't forget that's 5,000 years. That's Utsi's Iceman, 5,400 years old, right? With a marvelous technology that could, must have at least been a millennium or two old. Now, what was he doing? I don't think he was hunting. I think it was just crossing over the divide current Tyrol in Austria. He could have had sheep with him. Well, so that has already disappeared, right? And there was nobody here to witness it. Well, the trees know. So just as Dan Fagery's glaciers at Lost Glacier National Park are the sounding out of what happened uh, centuries ago, starting in at least 1750, the death of Bach. That's when we started to get into, as a footnote, musical trouble as well. Yeah, these things resonate together in mysterious ways. Well, just as those glaciers in Glacier National Park, Lost Glacier, are goners, it's only a question of the, so it's just the end device, right? That's almost, that's a dead certainty. Just say it's a dead certainty. Get used to saying it. An ice-free earth. That's where we're headed. Even if we stop all emissions right here, right now. Well, this forest is also a goner. It's sounding out what happened already 200 years ago. Where there's snow, there's conifers. Where there's conifers, there's snow. There should be snow right where we're sitting right now that would linger throughout the growing season. Well, brothers and sisters, it's not here. And with a uh, dew point of two or three degrees centigrade, it's so dry that the air has a capacity of sucking whatever moisture is there. Here's another blow-up. Whitebark pine. I wish I could show it to you, but uh, I I don't like video. That uh, it was hit by lightning, and the fire was limited to this wonderful old-growth whitebark. And it probably happened 300, way before Lewis and Clark. Blew up the whole thing, but didn't uh, it just blew it up, so we lost the whitebark old-growth elder. That'll be coming back. So we're climbing up the last bit of, we lost one tree, but it wouldn't start a fire. Where there's snow, there's no fire, right? Forests at this altitude, if they start telling you the same thing, well, yeah, we got a log or we got a, it's because of not, it's not true up here. They never logged up here. 
there were never fires that were put out. And it's uh, the problem up here is much more a climatological problem. So we got to get over. This is a cracker cluster, a snag with four trunks, all planted individually by a Clark nutcracker and a cache that he or she, for whatever reason, did not retrieve. So those caches sprout. I would love to have my caches sprout that way too. A flourishing for the whole of the community, not just the one percent of the one percent. So you hear how dry it is. There should be snow here, no snow. And we're talking about 20 years ago, not 200, let alone 2,000 years ago. So these forests, these trees, in tree time, they're the whisper of a decrescendo that's sounding out. And the first to click out will be the keystone species that everything else depends upon. So you're pulling out the reed voice in the symphony. Well, don't forget, I mean, if we take a broader circle, what the hell does water and salmon have to do with these white barks? Well, everything. This desire to control nature is one of the most demonic of energies. See, that's where I differ with the classically trained Western scientists out here. Studying whatever, climate, white bark pines, ecology, nutcrackers, whatever. They usually, and you can hear it in the language, will take a specialty, right? We, we are specialized uh, in nothing. Only in the circle of the whole, which includes not just the white barks and the whole of nature, but the whole energy of consciousness of the universe. So that is the true source of wilderness, totally beyond thought and thinking, totally beyond thought and measure, totally beyond anything we could ever hope to describe and understand, with alone control. So, Western science has a lot of blood on its hands. But let's not complicate things. Tree time. It's like that little miniature. Ethics doesn't have much science in it. But science doesn't have much ethics. And that's bad. So there are so many places to go here. We're choosing a route and it's getting more complex. We might have to hit pause here. So in tree time, regardless of what we're doing, um, my view is that we're going to lose the white parks in the Bulawas. And we not only have periodic droughts, but we have aridification. 
And that's why these metric things are so crucial. That's an ethical thing. There you have it. Everything goes together. Now we're climbing. This is a little bit more complex. <clears throat> to get through here. So this is a horror on skis. <laughs> so many down trees or a heavy backpack. You can't get through. But we're making our way to the top and that's where the story ends. So now we're shifting over to greenstone with a little bit of basalt. The Wallawas are a paradise for a geologist. It's infinitely more complex than what I'm used to in the Alps. That looks like a good place to sit. Let's see here. So you're reading my mind. There's a, a white part. The needles are turning yellow. The younger, still no cones. Let's glass a little bit here. Have you heard a nutcracker? No. Have you heard us walking through snow? No. Slipping and sliding. Well, if you're camping and going by foot, you'll start to understand because even in the Wallawas, which are pretty good with water, it can get much worse. I mean, go do the Hawaii's. But what you do is that you walk, you get a sense with the soles of your feet, the sacredness of pure living water. So you'll be walking from water to water to water. And up here you have marvelous campsites, but no water. So you won't even be tempted after you get used to it, after lugging water at a kilo per liter. You'll get tired of that very quickly. So, losing the white barks and the forest will radically change. And eventually, if you want to, to see what it's going to look like, you head south. We'll be taken over by a much drier, snow-free landscape. It's like the Alps are turning into, if you know Europe, the Atlas Mountains. Well, I've never climbed or biked in the Atlas, I'd love to. But it takes your breath away. Or just like I was saying the other day, just look at those beautiful, I can't remember the name, mountains to the north of the great uh, city of Tehran, Iran, that uh, American Empire just can't wait to blow to smithereens. Just like they couldn't wait to get up here and kill all the Native Americans. And when you carry the cross, brothers and sisters, it gives you a mighty strong energy. Self-righteous energy is a very ugly thing. That you feel that you are 
they have been given license by God, Him itself. And you become utterly ruthless. To this day. Ah, there's a spruce. Fiddletop spruce. Now, I wish I could show you that there have been very few fiddletops. And they have such an irrational exuberance of cones this year. And I'm cooking with them. <laughs> and that marvelous biolite technology, why can't the whole world run like that? That runs on a simple differential between cold and hot generates electricity coming through a five volt uh, output that is powering the recorder I'm speaking on. Wow, that's an absolute miracle. Those are bluebirds. I can't see them, but I hear them. Well, there is a uh, fiddletop spruce, just hundreds of, there of such a marvelous rusty brown color, fully ripe. I don't know who's using them out here, but they uh, eventually fall to the ground. You see, the um, white parks, by and large, don't fall to the ground. If they do, they remain unopened, unlike the spruce cones. So they're totally dependent on these nutcrackers. So if you can see how you get into a negative devil's loop. You produce fewer and fewer cones, which leads to fewer and fewer nutcrackers, which leads to fewer and fewer trees. So I gotta go through a little bit of forest here. Now it's getting quite steep, but we'll find a way up through here. So this is a wonderful alpine, subalpine forest. I'm using the term. It's not quite at tree limit yet. And I didn't even... Yeah, look at that. We've only gone up 130 meters since the beginning of this talk. So you remember that that's one degree centigrade uh, cooling in dry air. We have very dry air now of temperature. So we call that a degree of climate. And when we actually do it formally, we're conservative, so we cut that in half. They're like they're actually doing this. And people, uh, scientists uh, in Switzerland, in the Alps, are transplanting vegetation, say, from 2,000 meters, 600 meters lower, so to 1,400 meters to see how it fares and vice versa. Because that is what the climate is doing. And it's just like those glaciers, it's inexorable, unstoppable, um, like sea level rise. Eventually it'll be 120 meters, unstoppable. Or just a half a meter will cause tremendous suffering. And the faster it happens, the greater the suffering. And if we allow ourselves to be led by illegitimate brash dandies of a self-centered delusional psychopaths, well, I'm afraid we don't have much of a chance at all. So now we're going, white bark, are you reading my mind? First, we're getting into, it's higher, 
<coughs> more snow. So they turn into scrub. That's not the right word. Um, crumb holes. Now we're on an elk path. Mountain goat path, very steep. Let's see if we can get some perches up here. More of that uh, pink mountain heather. You see, that does a tremendous job of holding together our flourishing mountain soil. Well, quite steep here. So the trees are getting smaller and smaller. Why? Because of climate. Colder, windier, ice. Now we're looking down on that wonderful alpine lake. Sure seems like it's more than a, I must have read my altimeter wrong. Seems like we've went up 300. But it's only 150 meters below us. And it's a little bit of paradise when it's so hot. And there's nobody here. Peak season. Again, the wilderness here is not being overused. But cars, by a factor of a hundred, too many cars, especially once you do the carbon footprint. Like I was saying and didn't finish, uh, how you get there is more than half the photograph. So ethics is a part of art nature photography too. So I'll make the lesser photograph and walk, but it'll have a more powerful resonance with truth. For me, that's a fact, not a theory. We can go in that another time. Let alone all the other junk that has come into being around wilderness. The worst of all is the hunting culture. It's totally different than in the Alps. The only people who hunt in the Alps are the natives who actually live where they're there. And then it's a beautiful tradition. It's just about ready to begin the great chamois hunt, the beginning of September. There are many things I think are laudable. Let me sit down. It's only men who do that. I think that's a good thing, too. I know that's not politically correct. But men have been, <laughs> I don't know. Um, men need to be together, in my view, in primal ways. Um, that women don't understand. And women need to be together in primal ways. So at the great Dionysian cults of the Greeks, good God, I would just love to watch that and to not be permitted to take part of it. I would feel honored. So our sense of, uh, how should I say, a feminism that simply wants to empower women to become men, I think is very deeply, tragically confused. How does that miniature go? It starts at the beginning of that uh, wonderful new piece, Difference. 
the feminine embrace of militarism contradicts the spirit of liberation just as stridently as a former slave who now herself owns slaves. It's very different than an eco or what should be called earth feminism. Where are the earth feminism feminists out here? They're here. Oh, they're definitely here. That would be the most common uh, species of woman one encounters in the wilderness. I mean, you have to have something together to come out here carrying a backpack, right? But anyway, much more could be said about that. With um, So the trees are getting smaller, and there's that wonderful German word, Krumholz, with two M's. Um, that means crooked wood. That basically what it is is that the trees are shaped by climate. And you're actually seeing it as a marvelous music frozen in space. It's quite steep here. But it's just uh, a little elk trail. It's going straight up the ridge. Don't forget I call this formerly Skeleton Ridge because you can see the past. It would be very difficult to ski down this, but you could shoe it. Let's go over here. Have you heard a nutcracker yet? That's what we would be doing if we were walking side by side. No nutcrackers. Have you seen any cones yet? Nope. Have you seen the white bark region? Nope. Have you seen new beetle kill? Yep. Have you seen new white pine? Blister rust? Yep. Everywhere. Because it hits the young trees. As well. Quite steep here. This is the edge of the cliff. Now you know at least how I got my name. Let's see here. Small white bark. Green stone. Getting hot. Now we're out into going from shade to sun. So, forest, I can see, and about 240 degrees now. In forest time, what is causing the lack of vigor and health, decline and collapse 
we're walking through, right here, right now, happened centuries ago, just like those glaciers. No difference. No snow. No conifers. No conifers. No snow. Simple as that. More white barks. Only about a meter and a half tall. So we're getting pretty high up there. As every mountaineer can tell you, there's a certain point where you only see blue above you. And that means we're at the top. Well, let's have a run up there. So this is very much all crooked wood. I don't think they like that word. Uh, wind sculpted. Furs. There's another beetle, beetle kill. So I'll make a photo of that. Two of them side by side. So that happened this season. I'll get back to that. Let's see here, see how dry it is. So, in the different historical climate, it not only gets cooler, but wetter and wetter because of the snow. The higher you go, the air holds less water, but the ground more. This looks like we might be at the top here. About 200 meters. Yep. So, congratulations. There's even a little cairn here. I had forgotten that. So, there's nothing more beautiful. A sudden insight of all directions. Or rather, that's what insight is. The sudden inrushing of all directions. How does that poem? Mountain Time. That was written back in the Alps. A little, here's some little white bark pines. So I'm walking to the west. Now, an update with the weather report. This is, don't call it new normal, because we don't... The skies are always smoky in summer now. And that's set to get worse. What did uh, Dan Fagery say about Lost Glacier? On average, that's a, uh, that rings true for the Wallawas, too. That's why I think there should be a sister program. 30 full days less continuous snowpack. Well, we have probably 40 to 50 more days without snowpack in the Wallawas than 200 years ago in the time of Lewis and Clark. So this is just a butte at the top. It's kind of a rounded thing. There are no dramatic walls. It's drier in the summer. Of course, the wind is going all the time up here. And if you were a seedling of any species, you'd pretty much be a goner. And that's this problem of non-linearity.
This is a good name, but we should have better names for kids. Um, that's the formal name. Let's climb over here. So I'm going through some... Oh, look at there. I didn't know that it was here. That looks like it's a summit book. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> they give me the creeps. Second only to a cross. It's a cairn, and it has like a 1950s bean can that's all rusted red. And I bet you if I pull that up, there'll be a summit book. But we're going to leave it sit there. So if you've made it to the top, you'll relieve. We're going to hit the coda pretty soon. And... Oh, it's dry. So the wind, you can hear it, is always going on a mountain. So you have the rise. Without the rise of the air, the Wallawas wouldn't have any water at all. So they're basically, like we've talked about before, milking the clouds of their moisture. Now we're looking down at this beautiful... It, its shape is basically round, and then in a weird kind of infinitely complex topography, uh, bent, the border is bent in all kinds. It has an ecotone. That's where the water meets the soil of infinite complexity that's always shifting. Now, we were talking about these sins against nature. Is that how to call them? Well, it took me a long time to figure out, at least two seasons. And it's connected with the Wilderness Act. That uh, right before this was designated official wilderness. Don't forget the real purists, when they passed the legislation, it took them years to write the, uh, the legal language, they considered prohibiting electric razors. Hmm. Well, you know, in the dialogue circle, you take that and look at it. Well, Fred, do you really want to... Is that really, oh, a little bit of snow in a steep ravine about uh, 600 meters below us? So this is really rugged topography. And uh, incredibly rich uh, geology. Now we're looking to the east. There's a high granite peak meets a high basaltic peak right smack dab in the middle. And there's what you call a rock glacier. There's a, uh, frozen rocks in the past, not now. But just very recently, it was moving in mass as one living hole down the mountain as a flow form. So you see the rocks still have the uh, outward form of glacier ice. There's a little bit of snow. Now, 200 years ago, that would have been a massive ice field. Permanent. That means not Dan Fagery's 30 days less, but uh, the entire year of ice and snow. And now, that's not just water. That's our, let's find a little bit of shade up here. That's our reflectivity. That's why as you go up in altitude, you experience what it's like to go north in latitude. Because one of the primary drivers of a warmer, hotter, drier climate is the loss of snow reflectivity. That instead of 90% of the energy being reflected to outer space, back to space, 90% of the energy is absorbed in rough numbers. So those are the needles of uh, hell.
healthy stand of white barks. The higher you go, the healthier the white barks get. And I should say evidently, because that's a theory that explains what the facts of what you see. And it would make sense, too. Because it's uh, two degrees C cooler up here than where we started. So two degrees of climate cooler than where we started. And you actually feel it on your skin the more you attune to it as a kind of primal yoga. So there are lots of young uh, white barks up here. And uh, we're only at about uh, 2,400 meters. So we have another 600 meters to go, approximately, a little bit less than the Wallows. Don't try to be too precise. So the water we were talking about, so in forest time, so we have glacier time, we have forest time that we're attuning to. So imagine 12,000 years ago, there was no forest here. So imagine it as in uh, like just one movement of green coming down the mountain. Now that movement of green is going back up the mountain. It's as simple as that. Imagine, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a famous undersea canyon off the eastern coast of uh, Brooklyn, New York City, where you can go out and they study it. And that was the uh, land at the peak of the last glaciation 20,000 years ago that retreated just 12,000. So in glacier time, that's simply an in and out breath. So that's how far the sea level, it's, I don't know how many kilometers out there, but it's way, way out there. So basically, um, just one meter of sea level rise by wind. You know there's going to be all the ice is going to be melted, right? So just Greenland is seven meters. West Antarctica goes. It's all going to be lost. The Alps, all gone. 64 gigatons. Well, get used to it. That's just glacier time. And then forest is going up the mountain. And I tell people that, unfortunately, if you think of it as a pyramid, like an ice cone, what do you call those things? Let me sit down in the shade of a white bark pine. So this tree was here before, Lewis and Clark is listening. It's totally surrounded by uh, spire fir. And it's, I don't see it as competition, it's a complementarity. First come the white barks, and that creates the flourishing. The needles we're sitting in creates the soil in the semi-shade that the spire firs need. We should get used to that, the circle of life, that we either all flourish together or no one flourishes. Do you hear that wind? So this would be an excellent place to throw out your swag and just camp for the night. And with the climate the way, you could get up here and uh, already on snowshoes easily in uh, April and uh, May. It's not much skiing here because it's too, the school forest is too closed. 
and there's not a deep enough snowpack. But you could practice your telly jump turns up here. And then you would have water and you could just sit here and meditate for a few days and enter this glacier time, enter forest time, enter climate time. And don't forget, we're doing our karma yoga. So you're neither optimistic nor pessimistic. They're just facts with no emotional reaction. That doesn't mean you feel. You feel much, much, much more. This little self-centered feeling sorry for yourself. I'm the secular Christian. The self-centered me has replaced God. The spiritual, the divine. Well, let's finish with control of nature, water. We see that Alpine Lake there, unbeknownst to me, was dammed and then tapped off. Imagine that. That I've been told that because it's tapped off, it flows into a completely different direction, a different river, and will feed third, fourth cuts, alfalfa irrigation, Sixteen hundred meters lower, with one week of irrigation ditch. It's just gravity-fed irrigation. Think of that. That's how hard up they are for water down here. If you want to do that kind of agriculture. Now, what effect does that have? Everything. It's just the thought of doing that. Let that sink in. Most people who come up here, 99% of the backpackers, and if you're a backpacker, you're always ecologically aware you have to be. You've got to find fuel, food, water, shelter, all the primal things, right? you got to be somewhat fit. Well, none of them know that that's taking place right before their eyes. The temperature of that water, I measured it yesterday, is 19 degrees centigrade. So pretty soon it's no longer going to be safe. <laughs> Lord knows what the hell is going to be growing in here with every uh, degree of increase that it gets warmer. Now, just like Dan Fagery in Lost Glacier, 30 days less. Well, that's huge. 30 days less snowpack. We have more than that in the Wallowas. Nobody's out here measuring it. But if you're sitting right here, if we're saying, it's dry. It's 21st of August. The end of the water year is the 1st of October. And with the chaos of the weather, we could get a big snowstorm tomorrow. But with this heat, it just burns it off. So it goes right back up into the air. It hardly has a chance to penetrate into the soil. 
So just the fact that there's no morning dew, if you're a plant, you are suffering. Everything up here depends on that morning dew during the the whole of the growing season. And scientists around the world are just now starting to tune into that. And why? Because most scientists are not living at altitude. Especially not out there 24-7, as they say. But if you're out here day in, day out, you're going to notice how dry it's become. And that's a positive forcing. The hotter the soil becomes, it will lose its moisture. The hotter it becomes, the drier the soil becomes. And that leads to even hotter air. So it, it, gets, it pushes it into even more extreme conditions. So control of nature, I don't think we need more control. What we need, I think, is a revolution of consciousness that just simply sees this as part of the whole circle of life. So what's the end with that? A threefold revolution. It's the title track for that CD set and other concerts. I hope you get that and put it on your iPod or cell phone. Just download it and listen to it. But it'd be, it's dedicated to two wonderful friends, Chad and Christina, that I met almost exactly two years ago, north of here in Hurricane Valley. But it starts, uh, the title is Threefold Revolution, A Necessary Unity. So this isn't poetry, it's philosophy, but then metrical. It's not aphorism, and it's not poetry, but it's meaning put into a musical, very pre precise form. Threefold revolution, a necessary unity. The digital, solar energy, consciousness revolutions converge easily and naturally together like three forks of one great river and thereby synergistically, synergistically, it's the term Bucky Fuller discovered. One, two, three, affinity. Synergistically, greatly amplify their collective strength and creative potential. Everything up here is synergistic. Everything. And then it goes on. But clearly, consciousness is primary. You see, that's what's missing in the whole school strike for climate Fridays for Future, um, Extinction Rebellion. The wider circle of the necessity, not just the possibility, but the necessity of a revolution of consciousness. With, and then it goes on, without a revolution of consciousness, our ignorance of the destructive, divisive, nature of thought. That's the thought that wants to control the river. Of the destructive nature of thought will continue to cause war and conflict in all our relationships. 
See that word, all our relationships, is crucial. Because it's there in the arts too. It's there in science, mathematics. In Western culture, conflict is everywhere. We'll continue to cause war and conflict in all our relationships. And the last part goes, without a revolution of consciousness, the demonic eye atop the pyramid of control. The demonic eye atop the pyramid of control. That's the not great so and so great seal on the back of a dollar bill. The demonic eye atop the pyramid of control will simply use smart, well-designed, rational technologies for its high, own highly irrational, destructive, and as we now see playing out on the world stage before us, brutally authoritarian purposes. Okay, you made it to the top. That's enough for now. Let's let the wind have the last word. This is Cliff, signing off for the picture-poems.com website and the circle in the square. Get those uh, concerts. Uh, there are four of them now. Threefold Revolution, Ice Mountain, um, the TPL, The Philosopher's Liar, and Thinking Like a River. Let the wind sound out. Okay, thanks for listening. This is Cliff. Ciao for now.